Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Power Hour podcast. We've got a great lineup, so let's get started. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Bill Miles with the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber of Commerce, and we're delighted to have you with us again this morning. I hope everyone had a, a nice 4th of July holiday weekend. Uh, it was certainly a busy weekend here in the Low Country. Uh, cash reg- registers were, were ringing, and our home and villa and hotels were certainly uh, running high occupancy. So it's summer in the South, it's hot in the South, and, and uh, all is good. But I wish we could leave it at that, but we can't. And uh, there's no shortage of headlines and predictions on where our economy is headed, anywhere from talking about inflation to uh, maybe a possible recession, real estate, they're all in the news. And to help us decipher that those headlines this morning is our first speaker, and he is the chief economist for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Curtis Dubay heads up the Chamber's research and U.S. and global economies and provides analysis to policymakers in D.C. Uh, Curtis also leads the Chamber's chief economist committee, made up of economic experts from a wide variety of U.S. industries. His insights have been noted in media and outlets, such as the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Also, I want to point out that Curtis is a fan, in the, a fan of the Low Country, and uh, here before too long, you just might see Curtis and his family walking on the beaches of Hilton Head Island. Curtis, we're glad that uh, your Metro got you to work, and uh, we're looking forward to, to hearing from you this morning. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, we'll be there on Saturday. I'm really excited uh, to get out of D.C. It's hot here, too. Uh, it's like 100% humidity, and I was stuck on the metro, so I apologize for being a few minutes late. Uh, so for, I, I gave a presentation yesterday, and I spoke for an hour on all this stuff. So there's a lot going on. But in the few minutes we have today, let's just focus on the key thing that everyone cares about, and that's inflation. Uh, right now, uh, and by the way, are you seeing? Yeah, you should be seeing the screen, right? Good. The um, Inflation is what everyone cares about because it's the reason why we hear continued calls for a recession. So uh, they picked up like a few weeks ago, people started saying, well, uh, there's probably a recession coming, there could be a recession coming, and it's because of high inflation. We're now uh, over 8.5%. What happened was that inflation started coming down a bit in in April. It came down from a high in in March, and... uh, Everyone thought, oh, good, this is, this is the peak. We'll probably pass the highest point of inflation. We'll start coming down at this point. And then it picked up again in May. And that's when you've seen the market disruptions. So the big drop in the market in the last couple of weeks, increased calls for recession. And then on top of that, you've had some, some weak consumer data. But there's two ways that inflation can cause a recession. The first is that consumers just can't keep up with the rate of inflation. So that spending falls below inflation adjusted uh, spending falls below, uh, becomes negative. And that spending 70% of the economy, excuse me, so that could lead to a recession kind of mathematically. The thing was consumers were holding up. We were spending at really high rates. We had a huge amount of savings built up through the pandemic. Wage and income growth was good. And people were starting to use credit cards a little bit more. And so spending was, was holding up above a rate of inflation all the way through April. Then we got May spending data and, uh, it stopped. We saw retail sales was negative when adjusted for inflation, and so was all, all consumption. And that's really driven down the, um, the, the an, an analysis and, and the, the thought that the economy could be in a recession now or going to one soon. I don't think we're, we're quite there yet. We did have a negative order of growth in the first quarter, 
that was kind of a statistical issue with trade flows and inventories for businesses. Spending and business investment were pretty strong in the first quarter. But if you see growth being negative in the second quarter because of the, that weak spending data, we would technically be in a recession right now. So it is possible, but I don't think so quite yet. That said, if I did this presentation a week ago, I would have said the economy would likely grow at close to 3% in the second quarter. And now some people are predicting negative growth. The Atlanta Fed has a, a real-time economic forecast that's now significantly negative. And my own forecast is down below 1%. So we're, pretty, we're teetering pretty darn close. The other thing that can lead cause inflation to lead to a recession is the Federal, the Federal Reserve, the Fed's reaction to inflation. So the inflation came largely because of the pandemic, demand being very strong with all the fiscal support, supply chain issues, driving up prices, workforce issues, driving up wages, which were leading to higher prices, but also the Fed really increasing the money supply. I'm a firm believer in the old Milton Friedman Nostrum that Inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. That means that the Fed, through money, the creation of money, causes inflation and reduces inflation. And what they did was they pumped a tremendous amount of liquidity into the financial markets during uh, the first stages of COVID. Totally the right thing to do, had to prevent a financial crisis while we were dealing with a global pandemic. They did that. So they did, they did a good thing. They did the right thing. Uh, they were hoping that the timing would work in their favor, that we get past the pandemic, the economy will recover, they could withdraw all that support in a timely way and inflation wouldn't take off. It did though, inflation took off in a really big way in March of 2021, it happened to coincide with the passage of the American Rescue Plan, the $2 trillion spending plan that President Biden pushed when he came to the office. And uh, it's been taking off ever since. Thing was though, if you think back, this is only a little over a year ago, Vaccines were not fully available yet. They were fully, widely, widely distributed. We were still very much in the throes of the pandemic, which means that the economy was still beholden to swings in viral levels. And remember, Delta came late at, shortly after that, and we had the Omicron wave. So it wasn't like we were fully past the pandemic. The Fed was really reluctant to pull fiscal support, or I'm sorry, monetary support. They, they didn't want to do that. Uh, so they said a lot of things like, Inflation is, is temporary, it's transitory, it's going to go away. Hoping that they could they buy them some time. It didn't work out that way. And they finally switched gears late last year, but really just late, late in the last few months. So they're behind the eight ball on trying to get inflation under control. You can see the, the, in the chart the huge amount of uh, liquidity they pushed into, into the market. And that's where uh, that's helping. That's with all those other forces is really driving up prices. The way that they will now try to get inflation under control is through raising interest rates. So they've, they've raised interest rates three times since March. Uh, the last time, uh, the biggest increase in a really, really long time, 75 basis points. And uh, they're going to continue to do that probably for the rest of the year. That will drive up interest rates for consumers and businesses. Uh, the easiest way to look at it, how it will impact consumers, is through uh, the average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage. Started the year at around 3%, it's now about 6%. So it doubled through the course of this year already, which is a really, really steep increase in a very short amount of time. This is going to put a damper on the really, really hot housing market. But we can apply this to anything that consumers use credit to spend on. So use their credit cards less because um, interest rates will go up. 
they are going to buy definitely fewer homes, fewer home repairs, fewer home remodeling, uh, fewer cars, fewer car repairs, boats, RVs, appliances, electronics, things like that, furniture, home furnishings, things that we use credit to buy uh, is going to be more expensive and therefore there, there will be uh, less, less purchasing of it that will take demand down a bit. Businesses will face the same thing. Businesses will face higher borrowing costs. You can see that same, same story here. The uh, 30 year, the average AAA bond started the year about 2.5%. AAA rated corporate bond is now 4.5% or about there. Really big increase. So that's increasing the, the cost of investment for businesses. As investment gets more costly, new projects become less profitable and fewer of them will be done and businesses will invest less. That will bring demand down as well. It takes a while for these things to, to occur. It takes a couple of years for monetary policy to have an impact. There, there are lags. We're having inflation now for things they did in February of 2020. So it's going to take a while to get inflation down. A couple of years, 2024, probably before we're back down. The Fed wants to get 2% or 8.6%. It's going to take a couple of years to get back down close to that target rate. So strapping, it's going to be a bumpy couple of years. There's no doubt about it. We're going to have swings of inflation. We're going to have swings on the market. So I'm pointing to CNBC over my shoulder. Market's going to have big swings day-to-day, uh, -day, week to week, month to month. Uh, the good news is we're in really good shape once we get past that, uh, but it's going, to take, it's going to take some doing. It's going to take some, um, some pain in the inter intervening years before inflation's tamed and we're, we're on more stable footing. The good news, so that, well, while it can take a couple of years for inflation to be fully tamed, the good news is that we could get inflation coming down before the end of the year the Fed predicts, so they use a different measure to measure inflation. Everyone mostly talks about the consumer price index, the broad, the broad um, measure of, of consumer prices. That's at 8.6%. The Fed uses a different one. Uh, it, it, it was in the chart, but it's a technical thing that you don't need to get into. They see that getting down to maybe 5% for the end of the year. It's at 6.5% right now. So that roughly means 7% for consumer prices before the year end, right in that neighborhood. That would be good. And the reason why that, that could happen is that ex expectations play an enormous role when it comes to inflation. So when businesses and consumers expect inflation, they can cause inflation. When they expect prices to fall or inflation to come down, they can act in ways that bring it down. So if you're expecting inflation, you buy now to get ahead of higher prices. That drives up prices in the intervening time, leading to inflation and telling you that you were right to expect it. Uh, if you're expecting prices to come down, you delay purchases that can bring demand down. Inflation expectations have come down substantially in the last few weeks. They were really, really high uh, in February, March, and April. They've come down since then, since the Fed started raising interest rates. This is really good news. This was not the case the last time we had a huge belt, belt of inflation, belt of inflation in the early 80s. Consumers, businesses, financial markets expected really high inflation, and it was really excruciatingly painful for the Fed to get inflation under control. Then Fed Chairman Paul Volcker raised interest rates to over 20%. The good news is it, it got inflation down. We had a 40-year period of low inflation, but we had a pretty significant, significant severe recession, only six months. Um, but the reason, and this is why I think we're in good shape afterwards, we had a period of robust growth five consecutive quarters of over 7% growth after that. And then we had the, the rapid growth of the 80s until the SNL crisis. And so things 
I think we're, we could be in for a similar situation here if we if the Fed does cause a recession by uh, causing demand to fall too much because of higher rates, but we'd be in really good position afterward. I've taken up too much time already. I'm going to stop there and take any questions. And um, I will send Bill and the team at the Hilton Head Chamber the slide deck here, and you are free to have that and use that as you wish. Each of these slides is annotated, so it has my analysis of each of the data points uh, for you to use as you wish. Curtis, thank you. I wish we had the full hour that uh, we could have heard your presentation yesterday. We do have some questions, and thank you for taking those. Uh, our first question is coming from Rodney. And Rodney is asking if there's talk about having a recession, if it may be shallow and brief, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, good question. So if, if we do have a recession, so let me take you through the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is two recessions. So we could be in a, a recession right now because of those issues with consumer spending. That would be probably brief. We'd probably already be through it at this point and then return to low levels of growth. I think that is possible. I probably 50-50 chance of that, but that wouldn't be so painful. It would be the next one in 2023 or 2024 that would come from the higher interest rates. And I do think it would be brief. I think it would be six months. Usually you have to have, it's not necessarily true, but usually you have to have six months of negative growth for it to be a technical recession. I do think it could be pretty, pretty steep, but we'd bounce back really quickly and beyond, uh, beyond that would be in really pretty good shape. I would think that would be later next year into 2024, roughly. And again, the chances of that are 50-50. So um, if you have a 50-50 chance now and a 50-50 chance a year or two from now, so 25% chance of two recessions, but a 50% chance of at least one. And um, just one thing to keep in mind for context, the chances of the US, US economy being in a recession one year, at any point in time, one year in the future is 20%. So a thing like a pandemic or a global financial crisis or a dot-com bubble bursting or an SNL crisis or a oil shock, uh, to name five of the last six recessions, uh, other than the Fed-induced one in the early 80s, there's always a 20% chance something like that can happen. So 20, 50% is certainly elevated and it's, it's risky, uh, but keep that in mind that there's always a one in five chance that we could be in a recession a year from now. All right, thank you. Our next question is coming from Kay, and Kay is asking, how much does Ukraine, the Ukraine uh, impact our overall U.S. economy? Yeah, another really good question, and um, something I would certainly get into more in a longer period, so, in a couple of ways. One, gas prices are going to remain high, because, in part because of, there's a lot of reasons why gas prices remain high, but part of it is the supply disruptions because of Russia, oil and gas, uh, and, and issues in Ukraine. That's, a, that's important, but the, it just geopolitical instability is a, is a problem. Uh, but then issues with commodities, a lot of basic elements and, and um, things that we need just for industrial purposes. Russia's a supplier, Ukraine's a supplier. Issues, Ukraine's a big supplier of food. There's gonna be some major issues with food prices and food shortages. And that's gonna, and, and then fertilizer issues as well. It's gonna lead to other more issues with food shortages and higher prices. So it's going to be destabilizing for the for the summer and for the foreseeable future. It is it is a problem. It is a, it is a major problem that we should not be overlooking. All right. The next question is uh, coming from Helen, and Helen is asking, "What keeps you up at night?" 
Well, I think for economists, the things that keep us up our night are that, well, a couple of things. One, we're always wrong. No one's ever right. The only people who are ever right are the people who predict um, 15 of the last one recessions. They're always saying the sky is falling. They only write that one time. Uh, but that it's the, and that comes from the unknown unknowns. So I, I didn't necessarily think, for instance, that inflation was going to be transitory last year. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. And then even a few weeks ago, I didn't think inflation would cause consumer spending to fall as much as it has, and then it did. So it's those things that we just don't foresee uh, that, that, keep, that keep us up at night. And uh, that, yeah, that, that's probably for, for every economist, but kind of more, um, I'm, I'm more optimistic than most. Like I said, I think we're in pretty good shape for the next, say, after 2024. Uh, but the other... The, the more like specific thing right now is a very a even rockier couple of years than I'm predicting. Like I said, it's gonna be it's gonna be bumpy. I'll just use the stock market as a gauge. We'll get back to that high, whatever it was, 36, whatever on the Dow, sometime in 24 or 2025. But we could go to some pretty low lows between between then and now uh, because of the, the volatility. And then again, back to the unknown unknowns. We've got a lot. It's just something strange about periods like this where, I, well, it's not strange. It's when you have a weakness like inflation, that's really, inflation causes a huge amount of uncertainty. It makes it really hard for businesses to plan. They end up with shortages because businesses don't want to sell for a certain price because the price could be going up, especially for their inputs. And they could end up in a loss position. Workers don't want to work for a certain wage. You just, all these issues compound on each other. But when you're in an environment like this, every other issue becomes that much more damaging. So uh, invasion, Russian invasion of Ukraine, another health issue, whatever it is, again, the unknown, unknown, unknown on top of a very volatile situation right now uh, could be really bad. It's just, it, that, that, again, we just don't know what that would be, but those things are always lingering out there, those black swan events. All right, Curtis, one more question for you. And uh, that is, what would you anticipate the impact of the current economy on the domestic and the domestic being specifically drivable tourism through the balance of the year? Well, as, as having had to try to book a place in Hilton Head this summer, uh, I don't think it's going to be an issue for right now. Uh, and we actually, so we're doing a week in Hilton Head. Um, the place that we normally rent in Sea Pines was three times what it normally is. We, we didn't do that one. Uh, we, we found another another spot uh, in Sea Pines, though. But uh, so the, the domestic, there's a huge amount of demand for domestic travel, and uh, I, the demand is outstripping the supply, especially when you throw in the issues with uh, temporary temporary workers. So all these tourist tourism areas are having a hard time filling uh, all their their open positions. And then we're going to Michigan later in the summer where my wife is from and uh, same issue there, could not find a place to stay uh, for a reasonable amount. So just anecdotally, I think the domestic tourism industry is okay. But then going forward, uh, I think it's gonna be a little different next summer because I do think the economy's gonna be weaker. Uh, all those savings that we, as, a, as, a, as an economy have built up will be spent down as a higher prices over the next couple, over the next months, two months. And um, so there's going to be a different environment. It'll be a lot weaker than it is right now, but we're at historic strength when it comes at least to prices. And um, that will probably reverse itself. But we do have, again, a tremendous amount of built up de uh, demand for people wanting to travel and get out of the house and do things they haven't for the last couple of years. 
that might temper that a little bit. All right, Curtis, thank you for being with us today. And I also want to say thank you for choosing Hilton Head Island as your vacation destination. And uh, we, lo we look forward to seeing you next week when you're on the island. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop by. Looking forward to it. Please do. Great. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right. We're going to drill things down a little closer to home now and looking at Beaufort County, uh, specifically that of our school district. And we've seen recently that teachers in Beaufort County will see bigger paychecks uh, this year, thanks to efforts uh, at the state as well as local levels. And uh, starting salaries for first year teachers are now at $50,000 when you include the cost and living stipends as well as other add-ons to teacher pay. And here to explain it all is uh, the superintendent of Beaufort County Schools, Dr. Rodriguez. He's been, uh, Dr. Rodriguez, I think you're into your third year now, aren't you? That's correct. Yes, sir. All right. Well, it's been an interesting three years, and thanks for being with us this morning. We look forward to hearing your comments. Thank you very much uh, for having me. And and uh, today I'm you know enjoy uh, the opportunity to talk with you a little bit about uh, briefly talk a little bit about some of our summer programming. Um, mention some of our new principals in the Bluffton Hilton Head area, and then get into the compensation piece, if that's okay. The uh, summer programming we have uh, this year, we're running uh, elementary extended summer, summer intervention literacy programs uh, with about 1,200 third graders uh, in order to improve their reading and writing skills. Uh, and we're utilizing uh, some really fun and interactive ways uh, to get them to do that. But, but we know that uh, the impact of the pandemic you know, has been significant on students. And, and this is one way that we can we can try to attack some of that learning loss with students that need it. Uh, and we're, we're have programs in place to support some of that. Uh, middle schools and high schools, we've got uh, a program for uh, 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 950 students in, in the middle schools. And we've got uh, language maintenance programs for about 120 of our newcomer students that are uh, trying to acquire the language in order to be successful in the classroom. Uh, some of our new principals I'm excited to mention to you and, and introduce you uh, to is Michelle Brockway. She was the assistant principal at Hilton Head Island Elementary School since 2014. She's going to be taking the helm there at Hilton Head Island Elementary School. Um, uh, for Sarah Owen, who has opted to go back into the classroom, uh, is one of the things that she wanted to do. And so... Uh, we're excited to keep Sarah in our schools in Hilton Head and at the same time welcome Michelle Brockway, uh, uh, who has uh, significant years of experience uh, right there in Hilton Head. And then we have Tracy Lanise, an assistant principal at Okatee Elementary, who is going to be replacing Jamie Pinckney in, in Okatee. Uh, and, and Tracy has been with our school district for 23 years as an elementary teacher, an interventionist, an assistant principal, and, and now uh, moving up into the principal ranks. And so we're excited what she brings to the table. And then Clinton Austin, who's been an assistant principal at uh, May River High School since 2017, he'll be taking the helm at Hilton Head Island Middle School uh, for the upcoming school year. And so one of the uh, important things I wanted to talk with you about today is about the, the budget that just passed and the increased compensation for educators. As you know, um, we're dealing with national teacher shortage this is, this is a, a, an issue across the country and attracting high quality educators is uh, 
something that is significantly important in order to help improve outcomes for students. And so in order to, to tackle that aspect of it, uh, we know that we needed to, to do something about the compensation package. Here in Buford County, Buford County ranked 53rd uh, out of over 70 school districts in the state of South Carolina in compensation, uh, particularly when dealing with our first year teachers. And so what, what this budget does, uh, uh, 100% of the, 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 the four mills that uh, we asked for uh, will go to, uh, teacher, to teacher and employee compensation. And so um, it should move us from 53rd to number one, if not in the top two or three. And that is a significant piece in attracting and retaining quality educators. We have a... Uh, locality supplement that we provide. And then uh, we have a $2,000 recruitment and retention bonus that, that we will be providing this year. And so, so when you add all that up, uh, it will move the salary from 37,000 to uh, 50,000 as a beginning teacher here in Beaufort County. And so uh, we're excited about that. We're excited about uh, the impact that we believe that can have on recruiting and retaining educators. Uh, and, and the increases move throughout the scale of the, uh, of the system. So, so if you're a, a veteran uh, educator, uh, you're benefiting from, from the increase as well. Uh, and one last piece, when I first arrived here, uh, the salary uh, steps uh, ended at 23 years of service. So somebody 24, 25, 26 years of service uh, their salary didn't increase uh, from year to year. That, that, that was the top end. One of the things I've done since I've been here was added a year to the end of that every year. So uh, we're now recognizing through, uh, through year 26. Uh, and, and by doing that each year, uh, the mo those more veteran educators also continue to get uh, uh, that step increase uh, each year as well. So that's a, essentially... Uh, what our budget was focused on and prioritizing uh, this year, because we know that uh, that when we put uh, high quality educators in front of students, uh, that that uh, ultimately our students win. Uh, so brightest teachers in the state, we want to attract them and we want to keep them here. And by focusing on compensating our staff, we're really focusing on students directly, directly benefiting their future in our region. All right. Thank you, Dr. Rodriguez. And uh, teacher compensation has been something that's been talked about for a long time. And you certainly come in and, and made a difference in that. And it's uh, going to be a tremendous help in recruiting uh, talented teachers and keeping them in the classroom. Our first, uh, first question is coming from Rodney. And Rodney is asking about those pay rates and how they compare to similar school districts in neighboring uh, uh, counties or states. Yeah, you know, it, it would be interesting to note that uh, as, as we were looking at, at at making this impact on our budget, uh, Jasper County and Allendale, for example, uh, had higher salaries than we did here in Beaufort County. And so uh, other school districts are going to be moving up their salaries because that's one of the part of the governor's initiative uh, and, and, and the uh, uh, general counsel's initiative as well. However, uh, we're doing more than that initiative 
in order to move ourselves up in in the overall pay ranking in the state. So 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 as it stands, uh, we should be number one. If not, uh, I believe we'll end in the top three if we're not number one. Uh, and and I have to tell you, uh, I want to. Uh, our our school board uh, was very supportive. Uh, this was a priority for them as well. Uh, and I'm thankful to our county council who unanimously approved it. All right, thank you for that. And one last question. I see that you're in your, your mobile office and uh, your man on the move today. We really appreciate you taking time for us. But the last question is coming from Brent and Brent is asking how the Beaufort County gradu graduation rates are doing. So last year we ended with the highest graduation rates uh, I believe that the county had had. Uh, we don't have the final numbers yet because those numbers uh, don't get tabulated till uh, August because there are still students that are graduating in the summer uh, as they complete uh, some credit recovery programs. So, so I don't have uh, a number for you, but uh, we're anticipating to stay along the same lines and the same trend that, uh, that we have. And uh, um, it's, been, it's been improving and, and I believe we'll, we'll be on par for that, so. All right, Dr. Rodriguez, thank you for making time for us today and uh, thank you for the great job, your leadership and what you're doing for the Beaufort County School District. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, and always enjoy it. All right, we're gonna move ahead now and talk a little bit about what's happening in Bluffton. And uh, as we know that Bluffton is currently the fastest growing area in the state of South Carolina, according to the census data. We also know that dirt is moving in the Washington Square development, which is in Bluffton, and uh, it'll be a multi-use project that will encompass green space, retail, residential offerings uh, on the Buckwalter Parkway. And to talk about that today, we have David Johnson, who's the uh, partner with the development company Spaceside Partners. Uh, he's, has an, he's been an investor and an entrepreneur with over 40 years of experience in uh, asset management. David. Welcome, and tell us uh, tell us what's going on at Washington Square. Well, thank you, Bill. And uh, before I get started, I wanted just to acknowledge uh, Dr. Rodriguez. I mean, for any of us, for all of us that are involved with any economic development here in in Beaufort County, I mean, it's it's very we're very fortunate to have him, you know, lead the lead the education process, which is so key. Um, thank you for having me. I'm going to share my screen tell you a little bit about what's going on. I'm gonna to try to do that. Let's see. Yeah, can everyone see that? I hope. Um, so we uh, we started, Washington Square was, was started with the intent of creating a walkable village um, with a vibrant shopping, dining and um, living Air experience within the fast-growing area of, of Buckwalter. Um, we, sorry, this is the. Uh, many of you may know where it where where it is. I'll just point out it's on to the right. Here is the uh, is a movie theater uh, area, and to the left over here is the um, is the Kroger Center, the Buckwalter Place. Um, there will be eventually a light here uh, uh, between uh, the movie theater complex and, and us. 
And there is a, uh, a road that can, will be connecting Washington Square with uh, Buckwalter Place where the Kroger is. And this, uh, they've already started. I'm just showing you the photo of, of the, the wetlands have been uh, filled in and, and the stormwater drainage has been done in that. Our intent, as I said, was to, to create a walkable village centered around two, uh, two things, centered around a, 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 a well-landscaped square where we could have music and food trucks and uh, just relaxation. I'll show you a photo of what that looks like at this point. As you can see, these bollards here can come down and we can put food trucks and music in, in the square. Um, the Where we are currently is many of you may have seen uh, the first building that's gone up is Low Country Fresh uh, Market and Cafe, which is uh, has gotten a lot of uh, accolades for its uh, connection to the uh, St. Helena Farms, local farms, and and is uh, it has really become quite a quite a community uh, gathering space. Second thing that's going on right now is there is uh, Logan Homes is building a 58 uh, townhome community across from Low Country Fresh. Um, it will, these are some, some early renderings. They'll, they'll be, uh, they'll all front on the, um, uh, they'll be front, fronting on Bleecker Street uh, with driveways behind. Uh, it should create quite a, an interesting living uh, experience. And uh, they, they have gone, uh, they plan to go vertical and that by the fall, and you'll start seeing some, some townhomes going up. The, the horizontal is being done at, at the uh, streets and the sewer and the lights and all that are being done at this, at this point. Um, the, the next phase for us will be we are, we're clearing uh, and, and doing all the site work for what we call Washington Square East, which is everything east of the square between Buckwalter and the square. Our first building that will be built uh, and should be started in, the, in this summer will be uh, this building, excuse me, uh, on the square, this L-shaped building on the square, which will include, um, this is what it looks like, but this, these are renderings from, this is from the square and this is down Bleecker Street with retail below on the first floor and apartments above on the second and third floors. That will be the first phase uh, that we will build on the square. And once that is started and, and under, well underway, we'll do the same thing, uh, build the, a similar building on the, um, on the other side of the square, again, with retail, uh, retail below and residential above. Um, and that, that, will, that will be the first phase and the rest of it will be mixed use uh, uh, office slash retail uh, and apartments throughout the rest of the, uh, the re you know, surrounding the square. Um, we're pretty excited about, um, about what's happening. Uh, finally, we've got, you know, a fair amount of activity on, uh, that's going on and, uh, and some more announcements probably by the, uh, end of this month about some retailers that will be, uh, that will also be here, both local and uh, some national retailers. So with that, I'll, I'll stop and ask for questions. 
All right, David, thank you. And our first question is coming to us from James. And James is asking what the price range will be for the apartments and if you've determined that yet. Um, the apartments will be, which will be the, the apartments above the retail, which we're doing, not the Logan Homes townhomes, will be in the range of uh, two bedrooms will be around $2,400 uh, a month and one bedrooms around $1,800 a month. There'll be 20 apartments on, on the first phase above the retail. Next question is coming from uh, Brittany, and Brittany is asking, what is the large building on Mineta Lane in your rendering? Uh, so that, I'll go back to that. I think I can share now, maybe not. So Brittany must be talking about this building. Um, this is right now is planned for a boutique hotel, an 80 room boutique hotel. That uh, has not will not be started uh, right away, but uh, that's the that's the ultimate plan is to have a uh, uh, a hotel on on the site, a boutique hotel. Okay, all right, thank you. And then uh, the next question is about mitigating the traffic and infrastructure issues is coming from Rodney. Great question. And that's uh, one of the reasons that uh, the county and the town uh, really would like these interior roads built. Like I said, I showed you the one between uh, our, our development and Buckhalter Place, which should be in place over the next uh, six to eight months. Um, that'll take a lot of pressure off Buckwalter. And then, you know, the, the light uh, that I mentioned uh, that the county has has determined should be uh, right on Mott Street or across from Woodbridge is, is where it's uh, is, is, is the plan at this point. All right, thank you. The next question is coming from Maria and Maria is asking, Will there be parking separate for residents and those that travel to the development for walking around? There will be. There'll be a, there'll be some mixed mixed parking, but there will be parking for residents as well. All right, David. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, thanks for taking the questions, and we're looking forward to continuing to watch the progress there that you and uh, Washington Square are making. Thanks for having me, Bill. Nice to see you. Have a good summer. Thank you. Thank you. Bring things into Hilton Head Island now. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We all have passed by it on William Hilton Parkway and on the north end of the island, commonly referred to as the Mid-Island Track. And here to talk about the ambitious plans the town has for this area is Jennifer Ray. And Jennifer, I think, has just celebrated her 10th anniversary with the town of Hilton Head Island, and she is the capital program manager. Uh, Jennifer, if you haven't had the opportunity to work with her, I can tell you does a super job. And Jennifer, we're delighted to have you with us today and hearing about the plans. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Um, we do have some very ambitious plans, and I am excited to share this with you today. So we have a world-class team. I, I need to breeze through this. The Mid-Island Initiative Area is a mix of old and new commercial development, industrial uses, some residential, and um, the airport, as well as some significant cultural resources and town-owned property. I guess you're not seeing my screen anymore. 
So Kelly, if you have the control, if you'll move on a couple slides. So there you can see what we initially started with and then the district as outlined with working with our consultant team and even further refinement through our workshop with town council, the Bagal area um, to the north, plan north on this um, image will be included in this district. And next slide. We worked, we had significant stakeholder engagement that led to some initial recommendations for the district. Next slide. And these are going to go real quick. Some character um, emerged based on our community preference for green, not gray. Next is close and cozy versus spread out. Next is complete and varied and not single use. Next is connected versus isolated. Next is walkable, not auto-focused. And next is artful and memorable, not generic. And there's some good examples of this character already on our island, including Shelter Cove Town Center, Harbor Town, and in Bluffton with Old Town Bluffton, and even Palmetto Bluff. But ju this just kind of gives you the character feeling that our consultants were looking for. And if you'll go um, the next, click through two, the next one, these are the key themes. So um, if you followed along with the R plan process, with our strategic plan, any of the things that the town has been working on, you know, these core values keep coming up over and over again to protect and enhance both our people in our neighborhoods as well as our natural environment to connect, to connect our people and our open spaces and neighborhoods. We even had a um, connection was one of the work groups. And then to evolve, we can't stay just like we are all the time, just like we heard earlier about what's happening in Bluffton and what's happening with the economy and the schools, we have to evolve also. So we wanna look at our future land use plan and potentially some new redevelopment um, standards for this area. So if you, next slide, um, all of that key themes and the community input, plus some analysis of the existing land use, zoning, the airport overlay, and our whole historic and cultural resources have led us to this initial, led the team to this initial strategy. So here you can see they start with identification of some hubs with a large district hub right in the middle. And then an additional hub not identified here, but as we've um, worked through this project, an additional community hub up in the Mitchellville area. Next slide shows the importance of protecting the green network. You know our core value and our, our future identified reinventing sustainability and protection of the environment. And so you can see how that's taken into account in the within this district and this significant amount of open space highlighted here in green throughout the district. Next slide shows the opportunity to connect. There are a lot of ways to connect through some improved intersections, through various types of roadways, as well as um, significant pathways. You know, we already have a um, gold friendly um, bike path, bike and pedestrian path. Um, system here on our island, and this plan seeks to improve that even further and maybe find some missing connections to add to. And then the next slide is the initial thoughts on what that future land use might include. So instead of being single focused, like I showed in those images, maybe it's mixed use, and that would be the purple color. 
also looking at ways to support the area around the airport and some additional commercial support there. Opportunities for additional residential, including in the historic neighborhoods. You, you know how much we've talked about affordable housing, workforce housing, just housing for um, business leaders. It's, it's a huge um, issue on the island, but making sure that we're addressing that within this district. So this is the future thoughts for what that redevelopment strategy might look like. Next slide, we'll transition from the district into the town-owned Mid-Island Tract um, that you mentioned, Bill. Next slide, it's 103 acres that is right in the um, kind of the middle of the island. It's portion of the former Planners Row golf course. You can see it here on the slide currently being used for walking, biking, bird watching, photography. And the good news is all of those uses will continue to be available as we redevelop the site. The next slide shows you the concept plan. The goal when we set out what we told this world-class team was to develop plans for a best-in-class park. They looked at um, leading design principles, emerging trends, analysis of the site, and also significant stakeholder engagement. We met with over 100 different stakeholder groups. We had thousands of people respond to a survey. And they developed a program that looks at civic and cultural features, natural features, and recreation. The next slide shows one of the amazing um, images that really um, helps you see this park in a little bit more of a three-dimensional dimension. This is a bird's eye perspective that shows the five key areas, the heart of the tract, cultivated landscapes, island heritage, an eco park, and active play. So we're going to quickly go through each of those sections. Next slide shows the heart of the tract, includes components such as a fountain, a great lawn, community facility, could be a tower, and maybe even an event grove. Um, next slide just shows you some of the um, images. None of these are saying that this particular fountain will be there. It's just trying to show you some of the character. Um, expect this part to be built with the same level of attention to detail and high quality as other town parks, such as Lowcountry Celebration Park and Shelter Cove Community Park. So expect nothing less um, here, and in fact, um, even more, as you can see from these images that give you a flavor of what could happen in the heart of the park. Next slide shows another one of that event grove. Imagine weddings and storytelling and Shakespeare in the park and just an intimate, um, real intimate space in the middle of 100 acres right in the middle of the island. Next slide shows you the island heritage. Um, I know probably a lot of the listeners know how many historical and cultural resources on, are on the island, but we're blessed in this area to be adjacent to the historic Union Cemetery in the bottom right corner of this slide and have the opportunity to relocate St. James Baptist Church um, to this particular site as they move um, away from the airport. So the consultants looked at also honoring other island heritage besides just the Gullah heritage and creating this area with cultural gardens and an open air market and an island gathering space. The next slide shows you some of those um, case study images that show the different components that could happen within this part of the site. 
And then the next slide shows, shows you another one of those bird's eye perspectives. So this would be if you had entered off of Union Cemetery Road, um, the church and the Union Cemetery would be down off to your right, just off the screen. And this shows you where that community building, open air market area, and then the gardens back beyond what kind of um, community space this could be to um, further promote and honor our island's cultural and heritage. The next slide gets into the cultivated landscapes. So think of areas to learn about um, different plant material, to relax and enjoy, to stroll, to sit. Um, next slide shows you some of those. It includes both cultivated gardens, a Mon Monet garden, um, natural um, plant materials of the low country, and also accommodating the staging that currently happens with Concours de Elegance. We know what an important um, activity event that is for our island, so making sure that we continue to be good stewards and um, accommodate that within this area of the park. Next slide is the active play, and I mentioned recreation, and a lot of people um, we're hoping that there wouldn't be recreation on this site, and I, I can share that um, the planned recreation is not what you would think of as active, not balls and bats and lights, but more of um, community activities that um, you and your family, your kids, your grandkids can enjoy. So next slide, think of things like interactive water features. Um, adventure playgrounds and natural play. And the most active part might be what they're calling the yard. Um, kids running and laughing and having fun, but it's not organized, um, organized park um, sporting events, if you will. Also opportunities for playing chess in the park. That's something that's come up lately. Um, we added that at Shelter Cove and we're looking at making some of those kind of um, board games that could be outdoor games part of this active play area. The next slide shows the eco park component, which um, is around 50 acres. So about half of the half of the park, it could include an eco center, some observation decks, boardwalks, canopy areas. If you haven't had a chance to be on the site, the Audubon Society is out there a lot. I've had the opportunity to be out with them and see some of the um, amazing birds out there, people um, photographing them. And if you go to the next slide, you can see some images of um, the wildlife that's out there, as well as some opportunities for how we can preserve and protect, but also witness and be able to have these blinds and places that you can learn um, more about the ecology of our island. Next slide. This again is just the overall, now that you've heard just a snapshot of the different parts, I wanna um, just be clear that this is really just a snapshot. The consultant um, team was here May 24th with a workshop with town council and they did almost a two hour workshop. So their complete presentation is on our website as well as a recording of that presentation so you can go and hear it from those experts. I'm just giving you kind of the real high level. Um, next slide shows how we're also incorporating the Ashmore Tract. If you're not familiar with that, it's directly across William Hilton Parkway, backs up to um, PSD, and there's an opportunity for an 18-hole um, championship-style disc golf 
as well as a pavilion and uh, more interpretive trails. Next slide shows you how that disc golf might be, might be routed through this significant natural resource. And if you'll go to the next slide, I'm wrapping it up. Want to let you know what the next steps are. I mentioned we had a workshop with town council in late May. For the Mid-Island Initiative area, we're going to have our consultants do some additional market research and stakeholder engagement. They will be preparing that final redevelopment strategy and come to town council for consideration of approval of this district plan. Following that, we'll work on maps such as a future land use map, we'll revise our zoning map and our development standards specific to this district of the island. Then even farther from that next steps, we will take this concept and move around our island and look at, look at other districts that need to be studied in this way, such as the Palmetto Bay Road Corridor. That might be another district plan that comes after this Mid-Island Initiative area. For the tract itself, and, and stay tuned, hopefully um, the next time we start talking about this, we'll actually have a name for the tract instead of Mid-Island Tract but they're working on an estimate of probable costs for this 100, 100 acre park. Council will um, consider approval of this master plan later this um, late summer, early fall. They will develop uh, phase one development and then we'll move into the detailed design and get ready for construction, hopefully in um, 2023 is what we look to go there. So as I mentioned, and that's the end of my presentation, but I really do wanna direct you to our website because there is a ton more information on there. If you go to the major initiatives, you will see um, two buttons that you can toggle between for both the initiative area and the park. And every presentation that this team has done is loaded on there and you can get loads and loads more information. But Bill, at this time, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you are, um, your listeners have. All right, Jennifer, thank you. That uh, very, very impressive presentation. Thanks for sharing your slides as well as your images. And we do have a few questions. Uh, the first one's coming from Scott. And Scott is one saying this is very exciting. And then what is the overall timeline and funding source or funding sources? That's a really good question. Um, the timeline is to come back to council, like I said, in um, later this summer, early fall, so maybe the September timeframe with a final master plan for their approval, as well as a cost estimate. The consultant threw out in their workshop that um, parks of this size and this level of um, detail, fit and finish, um, typically run anywhere around a hundred or a million dollars an acre. So if you do that quick math, that's around $100 million. We don't anticipate it to be um, that large, but when you get to um, a significant project like this, expect it to take multiple phases and multiple funding sources. At this time, council hasn't discussed the particular funding source because they don't know how much it's gonna cost yet. So that'll come out later this summer, early fall, when we'll be able to say how much, how many phases, what the first phase is, and then we can estimate a multi-year schedule for having it, having it done. I know that the goal would be to not have um, constant construction, but not to drag it out too far either, and always have a part of the park that is open to the community. Because once we made the decision to open the golf, what was the golf course and let people start using it, they really 
um, latched on and it's become a routine um, to be out there daily, um, walking dogs, riding bikes. So we wanna make sure there's always part of the park that is available and something under construction as well. So I hope that's as much detail as I can give at that at this point for that question. All right, thank you. The next question is coming from Donna. And Donna is asking, will there be any type of amphitheater in the park? Um, that's a great question, Donna. And yes, in the heart of the park, that event grove, if you will, um, would be an amphitheater, um, more of an intimate amphitheater where there were some images of trees growing up through so that you get that shade. But that's the area of the park that would contain that component. All right. Ruth is asking if uh, if the Northridge Plaza, if that's part of the redevelopment plan. Yes, sir. That is part of the redevelopment district. It, it includes Northridge Plaza, um, goes over to Port Royal Plaza across the street, includes Sea Turtle Marketplace. You know, kind of think of that that part of the island um, is what's part of that larger um, district. All right, Jennifer, thank you. We've had several other comments uh, just about how exciting this project is and, and uh, thank you for sharing it with us today and we appreciate uh, your leadership on this project. Thank you. It's a, it's a great project to be a part of, and it's always a pleasure sharing it um, with your group. So thanks for having me. All right. That was Jennifer Ray with the town of Hilton Head Island. That's going to conclude our power hour for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have a great summer and uh, we look forward to seeing and talking to you next time. Thanks for being with us. Thanks everybody for listening to the Chamber Channel's Power Hour. We encourage you to tune in for future episodes. Never miss one by subscribing to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.